Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Is this our 10th episode? Oh my god, I meant to get you a present. Because I remembered that, and then I was like, it's the tin slash aluminum. Oh shit, that would have been so funny if you gave me like a foil ball. I was going to make you a foil ghost. That's so cute, I would have had a tchotchke for my desk. Or I could make you a, a UFO out of foil. Aww. I didn't though. Hmm. It's the thought that counts. Well, the thing is that this is going to be episode number 10, but it's technically only going to be the ninth one that we released, so you can get me something for our next episode. But it's also technically the 12th one that we've recorded, Yes, yeah. <laughs> we have two episodes that we recorded that never aired, and we have like three. This is our third one that's in the pocket right now. Mm-hmm. Keep them on deck. <laughs> um, where were we? We didn't really get very far. Mm-hmm. Uh... Shall I start this mystery? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. What is it? This mystery is called The Mysterious Life and Death of Casper Hauser. Have you ever heard of this? No, he just like hung out with Wendy. (laughs) Friendly. Uh, Okay. So May 26th of 1828 in Mm. Nuremberg, Germany. Good year. (laughs) <laughs> I almost did a Nuremberg mystery. Did you? <gasps> Weird. I didn't, though. I know you didn't. A shoemaker named George Weichmann noticed a boy about Excuse 17... Weichmann. You're right. And it's spelled Gorg. <laughs> G-O-R. No, it's G-E-O-R-G. There's no E. <laughs> but it's definitely George Weichmann. Is that not Georg? Could be. Gorg. Weichmann noticed a boy about 17 years of age with dirty clothes dressed in a linen vest, a gray jacket, and a black silk scarf, and ill-fitting boots which were falling apart, walking down the road in an odd manner as if he were drunk. He sounds like he lives in Silver Lake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If only he was, like, laying under a tree reading Vaughn Even again. walking drunkenly is Silver Lake appropriate. Yeah. In ill-fitting boots. Fuck off. Yeah. Um... He was clutching two letters, one addressed to the Honorable Captain of the Cavalry of the 4th Squadron of the 6th Regiment of the Light Cavalry in Nuremberg. Jesus. So the shoemaker took him to the guard tower of the new gate to find out where the captain lived, and then he took the boy to the address. The captain wasn't home, but the groom, like the stable guy, asked the boy where he was from, and he said that he mustn't say, and he only revealed that he had, lo- he had walked a very long way. The groom took pity on him and told him he could sleep in the stable while he waited for the captain to return. When Captain von Wessenig returned home, he opened the letters. The first, the heading read, From the Bavarian border, the place is unnamed, 1828. It literally said, quote, the place is unnamed. Yeah, but in German. The anonymous author claimed to be a day laborer with 10 children of his own, and the letter said that the boy was given into his custody as an infant on October 7th of 1812. 
He had been, he had instructed him in reading, writing, and the Christian religion, but he had never let him, quote, take a single step out of my house. It claimed that he was not an idiot, that he had had, that he had the opportunity, that, sorry, that had he had the opportunity to be educated, he would have been a learned man as he picked up on things very quickly. The letter stated that the boy would now like to be a cavalryman, quote, as his father was, and ended with the line, if you can't keep him, you will have to butcher him or hang him up in the chimney. I feel like there's probably things in between you could do. Yeah. The second letter, apparently the one that was given to the the poor laborer along with Casper when he was an infant, was dated 1812, and and claimed to have been written by the boy's mother. It said that the child had been born on April 30th, 1812, and baptized with the name Casper, but the laborer should give him a second name himself. Casper's father was dead, apparently, and had been a cavalry soldier, so when the boy was 17, the laborer was to take him to Nuremberg to the 6th Cavalry Regiment, which his father had belonged to. The writer said that she was a poor little girl who couldn't feed the boy. When the captain asked the boy questions, he would only respond with, I don't know, or he would burst into fits of tears. And so not knowing what to do with him, he, uh, the captain turned him over into police custody as a runaway. He displayed almost no reaction to anything, often staring off into space as if he were in a trance. One of the officers gave the boy a coin to play with, which delighted him, and he exclaimed, horse, horse. Uh, and I wasn't sure, I looked it up, there was like 1820s money in Nuremberg that had horses on it. Okay, good. His vocabulary was incredibly limited, and one of the officers gave him a pen and paper to write on. All he wrote was his name, Casper Hauser. Uh, When those two letters were studied later, uh, it was discovered that they were probably written by the same hand, with the same ink, and on the same kind of paper. Both the letter from 1812 and the letter from 1828. Is there any way to verify whether they were written at the same time? No, but it's the same paper and it's the same ink. So it's not from so 1812. So it's probably not from 1812. Casper was four foot nine. Aww. He had light curly hair, fair skin, and his hands and feet were incredibly soft. There was no evidence that he had ever worn shoes. His feet had like no calluses on them. They were just like soft, like baby feet, basically. So he never even walked? We'll find out. Not knowing what to do with him... That makes me weirdly uncomfortable. It's getting weirder. Not knowing what to do with him, they locked him on an upper floor of Vetsner Gate Tower under the watchful eye of a sympathetic jailer named Andreas Hiltel. Hiltel's children enjoyed playing with Casper, and his son showed him how to draw and, quote, virtually taught him how to read and write. This is one of Casper's fucking drawings. Excuse me? He's, like, an incredible artist, so he, like... The little boy, the like, uh, the jailer's son showed him how to draw, and he just started fucking drawing. The jailer's son was like, here, if you make a circle with lines coming out right. of it and sunglasses, it's right. the sun. And he was like, copy that. <laughs> and then did some Rembrandt shit. Yeah, exactly. And, God, uh, how mad would and you And that be? pencil drawing is from 1829, so that's a year after they found him, that he was, like, that talented. Uh, he was eventually moved down to the lower floor where Andreas and his family lived, and Andreas noticed some weird things about Casper, like the fact that he was perfectly happy to sit alone on the floor with his legs stretched out in front of him perfectly mute. <laughs> like, he would just sit there. Um, they also said that he was uneasy on his feet like a child learning to walk, but he clearly, like, could walk because he had to walk up 90 stairs to get up to his original cell at the top of the tower. He was given two toy horses and a toy dog, 
which he would play with for hours and hours on end, seemingly not understanding the concept that they were inanimate objects. He acted like they, like he believed they were alive, and he also referred to all animals as horses. He was repulsed by all food and drink except plain bread and water. His eyes were acutely sensitive to light. He could see in the dark, which he later demonstrated when he read from the Bible aloud in total blackness. <gasps> what? Loud noises, including thunderstorms and marching bands, upset him greatly. Me too. He had an amazing sense of smell and was repelled by the scent of any flower. So he just like lived in a mm-hmm. room. He could identify people by their smell in total darkness because his sense of smell was so sharp. His head and legs were covered with old scars, which were believed to be the marks of early physical abuse. As his vocabulary grew, he related the following story. He had grown up imprisoned in a dungeon. He lived in a cage that was only six or seven feet long, four feet wide, and five feet high. He never saw his captor. This is a quote. Each morning, he found a jug of water and a piece of bread at his side. Sometimes the water had a bitter taste and sent him to sleep, and he awoke to find that his clothes had been changed and his hair and nails had been cut. On these occasions, the water probably contained opium. Hauser later confirmed this when a drop was put in water by his doctor for him to drink, and he said it tasted just like the water from his cage. One day, the man, as he was, he referred to him, his captor, came into the cell and told him that he was taking him away so that he could be a rider like his father. He carried Casper out of his cell and carried him all night. The next day, when the sun rose, it disturbed and overwhelmed Casper, so the man gave him more opium to calm him down for their travel, for their travels. He taught Casper how to walk and told him he could only look at the ground... He had, like, he had to look at the ground at all times to avoid falling. So he still never saw his face. They walked for days until they approached Nuremberg, and then the man gave him the letters and told him to keep walking and that he would follow later. So people, like, went crazy. Like, the media went crazy for, like, this wild child, you know? Because that was, a, like, feral children was kind of a phenomenon at that time. Like, they initially thought that maybe he, like, was like came out of the forest, and then he, like, told them this story. So... People flocked to see him, the media went crazy, and his guardians felt that he was overwhelmed by the attention, and so he was placed into the care of a university professor named George Friedrich Daumer, Daumer, who had worked with Casper in his cell and was impressed by his acuity. I used that word all by myself. Wow. Um, okay, this is another quote, and it's super interesting. By August of 1828, Casper had adjusted somewhat. He could express himself and make himself understood, and he could now tell the difference between living and lifeless, organic and inorganic things. Under Dahmer's guidance, Casper developed into a healthy, intelligent, and in many ways normal young man who quickly learned the German language, though he always spoke it with a foreign accent. He also developed a sense of humor and wrote letters and essays and mastered the art of riding a horse within a few days, riding for hours without stopping to the wonder of the local cavalry. Is it Caspar or Casper? It's K-A-S-P-A-R. It's, a, it's like a German or Bavarian name. Caspar. Still had many peculiarities. I like Casper because it sounds like the ghost. Yeah. Casper still had many peculiarities. He was sensitive to colors, his favorite being red, especially bright red. He disliked black and green, and he, like, and he had little uh, interest in nature because of this. In fact, he disliked the view of trees and plants at Daumer's house, though he was upset when a boy hit a tree with a stick because he thought it got hurt. But he was capable of amazement at nature. The first time he saw the star-filled night sky, he was enraptured. He sounds so precious. I know. He, lovely. like, thought that the, that the tree got hurt. Is he going to turn out to be a serial killer or something? No. 
I'm just worried that I'm going to get emotionally attached to this cute little angel child, and then you're going to be like, and then he murdered 19 people. No, but he's not. No, he didn't murder anybody that we know of, but, like, he's not as, like, lovely as he sounds. Is he lying? Did he make it all up? We'll get there. Because this is unsolved, so. Oh, my God. Um, This is really interesting. He was incredibly sensitive to magnets. So when a magnet was held up in front of him, like, a positive charge facing toward him he claimed that it was like pulling on him and then when they turned it around he said it felt like it was blowing on him alien um and when uh when a cloth was placed over various types of metal he could tell what type of metal it was without seeing it just by holding his hands above the cloth and he'd be like that's tin or like that's aluminum is he an x-man i don't know we're getting there I mean, that doesn't... I don't answer that question. (laughs) I don't know why I said we're getting there like as if... Uh, In September, he began writing his autobiography. Great. And scholars and observers noted that it seemed as though he was remembering language rather than learning it for the first time. So they surmised that he must have been imprisoned between the ages of two and four. He also told his guardians of a strange dream he had of being in a big castle with a well-dressed woman in a gown and a man in a uniform with a sword which was believed to possibly have been a memory from his early life. So theories and rumors about where he came from swirled. This is my favorite, the best one. He was believed to be the hereditary prince of Baden. Charles, the Grand Duke of Baden, and Stephanie de Beauharnais, who was the adopted daughter of Napoleon, had a baby boy in September of 1812, who died October 16th of that year. In the absence of a male heir, Charles was succeeded by his uncle Leopold. So one theory was that Caspar was the true prince and he had been switched with a dying baby and hidden away by Leopold's mother to ensure that her son would be next in line for the throne. And the thing about that is that there is a historical it's, precedent for that because, that far-fetched. because that's, I, I want to do this mystery sometime, but the prince is in the tower. Mm-hmm. So there's yep. historical precedent for that kind of shit happening. Like I almost did the King Princess James. in the Tower a couple weeks ago. Did you really? Mm-hmm. I want to do that one eventually. You can. I thought maybe you would want to do it, so I <laughs> thank you. I stopped reading. But yeah, King James fucking actually did that, and those kids like died in the Tower of London, probably. Sorry, I have to mix this properly. I'm gonna try not to get it everywhere. I I'm sorry. I feel like I'm not saying a lot, but I'm just so enthralled by this story that I like my brain is. That's okay. On. That's what's. That's what this episode it's is. Like it story time. I feel like you're tucking me into bed with a story. That's totally okay. This podcast can be whatever we want it to be because it's our podcast. That's true. We can do whatever we want. I'm going to take a swig of this. We can be heroes just for one day. Was that too much? Okay. (laughs) No, I'm just drinking straight bourbon. You can't make jokes when I'm doing that. (laughs) So, first assassination attempt. <laughs> Sorry, I did it again. Remember when you told me not to like spring things on you? When you were like, "Oh my god, they you got to work up to this." It's so you made it so casual. They found dead bodies. T- like, don't yeah. Okay. Anyway, first assassination <laughs> attempt. Casper was found in the cellar of Dalmer's home with a superficial cut wound on his forehead. He claimed that a man. Sorry, I didn't give you the date. This is the seventeenth of October, eighteen twenty-nine. So, how old is he now? Probably, like, 18. Okay. And he's been living with this professor. And he, like, learned to ride horses and is, like, writing his autobiography. And what are we doing? Yeah. Right? Plane or UFA? We're holding for a plane. Or an UFA. 
It's never going to be an UFO. We want it too bad. I know. All right. Okay, so 1829, October 17th. Casper was found in the cellar of Dalmer's home with a superficial cut wound on his forehead. He claimed that a man wearing a hood had attacked him and said to him, you still have to die ere you leave the city of Nuremberg. And he recognized the voice as the man who had brought him to Nuremberg. <gasps> For his safety, he was transferred into the care of Johann Biberbach, one of the municipal authorities. The attack fueled rumors that he was the descendant of royalty because, yeah, and that his existence must have threatened someone powerful. However, the trail of blood from the wound led back up to uh, back up from the cellar to Casper's room and then back down to the cellar. And so everyone was pretty sure that the wound was self-inflicted and that he had just run upstairs to ditch the razor. Otherwise, why wouldn't he have gone into like the dining room where the family was? Um, also, something that I just thought about is like what the dude came in and like sliced him on the forehead and then left. And then was like, oops. Right. Like, and, like, gave him a warning? Like, what was he supposed to do with that? Like, what was the motivation for that attack then? I don't know. To scare him? Like a bad director. To scare him into, like, leaving Nuremberg? But then why not just kill him? Because he's, like, holy grail blood? We don't know. Okay. Uh, so, but Dal and Dalmer also claimed that Casper had been, I wrote this, I worded this so awkwardly, I'm going to rephrase it. On the fly. Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> Dalmer also claimed that Casper had been lying a lot. How do I phrase this? That's... He had, like, been... He'd been lying a lot and embellishing stories. And so Dalmer said that he probably faked the attack to gain sympathy because he and Dahmer had gotten in a, in a fight earlier in the day. So. For his own safety, he was transferred... Or... Transferred... <laughs> to, to, to a different school. To out-of-town... Who's the new kid? Boy. Why are his feet so soft? There are going to be boys from other schools there. Um, so yeah, he was transferred into the care of... Oh, I did use the word transferred. He was transferred into the care of Johann Biberbach. Um, so he was living with this guy. In April of 1830, so it's a year later, or not even, a pistol shot went off in Casper's room in the Biberbach home. And an attendant rushed in to find him bleeding from a head wound. He claimed that he had climbed onto a chair to reach something on a high shelf, had slipped, pulled the pistol down from the wall as he grabbed it to balance himself, and that he had accidentally discharged it. Again, this incident also occurred after a fight between Casper and uh, his host family. And he was moved again into the care of Baron, Baron von Tucher. <laughs> Apparently, the Biberbach family reproached Casper for lying constantly and called him vain and full of spite. So I guess that, like, the wife from that family was, like, he's, a like, a nasty boy. Like, he's terrible, and he's always lying, and he's vain, and whatever. Ugh. And also, everyone was kind of like, did he accidentally slip and shoot himself? Like, doesn't that seem... So, like, at this point, people, like, you know, now, retrospectively, we have this, like, term for it, but, like historians theorize that he may have had like some form of Munchausen mm -hmm. and so he was like injuring himself to get sympathy because also these incidents kept happen happening after he'd get in a fight with someone um he sounds like he's gonna like put on a fedora and call me milady <laughs> yeah like write a manifesto and make a YouTube video about it <laughs> I'll show you a picture of him later too he's yeah anyway 
So a British nobleman named, named Lord Stanhope took an interest in Casper and applied to get custody of him and got custody of him in 1831. He spent a lot of money trying to ascertain his true origin, but ultimately found no viable connections um, and later professed that he doubted Casper's credibility and that he had been deceived. But he continually promised that he would take Casper to England. He never did. Um, so what he did was like he booked all these trips and because um, you know it said that like the note said that like he was from like the Bavarian border and he was also said to, like when they first found him that he spoke with like a low Bavarian dialect. Um, he spoke in a low Bavarian dialect and so this guy Lord Stanhope was like I'm gonna take you to Hungary and we're gonna walk around and we're gonna see if anything jogs your memory. And he took him to Hungary like three or four times and he never recognized any of the buildings, he never remembered anything. Um, and yeah, and then Lord Stanhope later went on, like all, all these people later went on and wrote books about it, but they all said that like, he was hiding things. Like he wasn't being truthful with everyone, but no one knew exactly what he was hiding. Why, I, <laughs> I know. I'm so, so frustrated once again. <laughs> in 1832, he sent Casper... The article I was reading was like, he got bored of Casper. In 1832, he sent Casper to Ansbach to live with a schoolmaster and work as a copyist and a clerk. So he lived with that guy for like a while. Then on December 14th of 1833, Hauser flew in the front door of the house with a deep stab wound in his left breast and claimed that he had been lured to the Hofgarten with a fake message and stabbed in the garden by a man holding a small bag. Um, to elaborate, the Hofgarten was like this, like park that had been made out of like this, like gardens of this, like just this estate that had fallen into disrepair. But the gardens were still like a public place that people would go and like walk around and whatever. And this is December, keep in mind. So it's like winter, it's snowing. Um, investigators found in the garden a small purple purse which contained a note that was written in Spiegelschrift which is mirror writing <gasps> what? Well, I'm going to show you this fucking picture this is the note oh my god it's written backwards so you can only read it in a mirror why? Shut up. because mysteries god that's so extra because the plot fucking thickens someone was like uh write it backwards right why it's more fun <laughs> i can't mysteries. do it i can't do a german for accent. mysteries mysteries that's Fuck. russian oh what was i supposed to be doing german german oh i was doing like bavarian no i don't fucking know <laughs> i don't i don't i wasn't Just do i don't bar know how talk. to do bavarian <laughs> Oh, I love the late. Oh, that's just Jewish. I can't. Okay. Jewish. <laughs> that was like a bad like impression of like a New York Jew yeah. instead of like a like mm -hmm. a Russian Jew. Wasn't that wasn't like a Bolshevik? <laughs> uh, okay. Listen, someone please tell us how to do a Bolshevik. Someone accent. tell us how to do any accents. We always try and we always fail. Um, do you want to hear what the note said? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <the laughs> no, note? I think no. that's enough. <laughs> I've just Mystery been sitting solved. here silent, enraptured with this story. I don't really want to know what the fancy backwards note said. I don't want to know what the biggest clue said. Thanks for tuning in, guys.
I feel like I did a good job writing this story, and I actually wrote it all myself. I didn't. Well, like, you copy just goddamn tell me so what the no- I want to okay. know what the note says so bad. But yes, you did a good I job. I did copy writing and paste some of it, but like a lot of it's my writing. Okay. All I do is copy and paste. I don't know why you try to like write nice, fancy things for because me. I- Content. It's not for you. It's for them. No. For our one Swedish listener. Hi. How do you say hi in Swedish? I don't know. Probably hi. Let's look it up. Hold it's on. Probably hi. What's that? Hello. Salud. I think it's hello. Hello. Because remember that commercial where they're, they're all like hello, 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 <laughs> and then they you, they like you go on a trip. No. Through Sweden. No. It's just a bunch of people being like, hello. It's pretty cute. That's going to be my new sign-on for the podcast. I'm going to go, hello, for all our Swedish listener. (laughs) (laughs) All our Swedish listener. Oh, do you want to know what the note said? (laughs) No. Never mind. The note said, Hauser will be able to tell you quite precisely how I look and from where I am. To save Hauser the effort... I want to tell you myself from where I come. And then two, you, you probably saw in the picture, two like little lines, like hangman lines, where it's like a blank space. I come from blank space, blank space, blank space. The Bavarian border, blank space, blank space. On the river, blank space, blank space, blank space, blank space, blank space. I will even tell you the name M period L period O period. What? It doesn't make any sense. That's the whole letter? Mm-hmm. I'm furious. I know. And you're about to get furiouser. It's about to get a lot more stupider because the next line of this is, I'm going to spring on you. Hauser, uh, how do I not spring this on you? So he came Just in with a stab wound. I don't care. They didn't call a doctor right away because it seemed superficial. Um, but he actually like punctured a lung and he died from that <gasps> on December 17th, 1833, three days later. So. No. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. At age 21, I think. That made me a little dizzy. Yeah. What the f- Okay, so, continue. Listen. I, oh, my God. This is, now that I brag so much about not copy and pasting, this is directly from Wikipedia. But it was, it's hard to rephrase these, like, um, technical things. Inconsistencies in Hauser's account led the Ansbach Court of Inquiry to suspect that he stabbed himself and invented a tale about being attacked. The note in the purse that was found in the court garden contained one spelling error and one grammatical error, both of which were typical for Hauser, who, on his deathbed, kept muttering incoherencies about writing with pencil. Although he was very eager that the purse be found, he did not ask for its contents. The note itself was folded in a specific triangular form, just the way Hauser used to fold his letters, according to Mrs. Meyer, who was the schoolteacher that he lived with. Why don't you just fold it a different way? Forensic doctors agreed that the wound could indeed be self-inflicted. Many authors believe that he wounded himself in a bid to revive public interest in his story and to convince Stanhope to fulfill his promise of taking him to England, but that he stabbed himself more deeply than planned. There was also only one set of footprints found in the snow at the park, and it was Casper's. What a dumb piece of shit. As Casper lay dying, he said, many cats are the death of the mouse. And finally, tired, very tired, still have to take a long trip. To hell. I think he was talking about going to England. No. Yeah. I don't like him anymore. 
He was buried in the city cemetery, and his headstone reads, Here lies Casper Hauser, riddle of his time. His birth was unknown, his death mysterious. No, it wasn't. He just stabbed himself because he wanted attention. But keep in mind that we still don't know where he came from, and if he was really kept in a cage. And some people were like, if he was kept in, uh, in a dark room, in a cell, his whole life, he would have had rickets. Um, but he did have uh, malformed knees, and he was only four nine, so it's really possible that he actually was kept in. He stopped a dark room. growing at four nine. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was just like eight years old. He's seventeen when they found him. He was four nine. <laughs> so he really was like probably kept in a dark room for a long time. Yeah, just eating bread and right. then getting haircuts. Yeah, and he would like when he would smell other food, he would vomit. Because his body didn't know, like, but then once he got, like, once he'd been acclimated to society a little bit, he eventually started eating meat and got a lot stronger. Anyway, so, like, you know, reserve some sympathy for him because he probably was raised in a cell and he probably, and he was, it's really interesting because everyone says he's really, like, super fucking quick and very intelligent. It's just that he didn't, like, have the opportunity to be educated. But once he was educated, he was, like, really intelligent and he would, like learned things super quickly and was like a really like had a very acute mind and then used it to be a douchebag right well or just like he had Munchausen and he like needed people to forget like to not be mad at him and stuff so when he would get in fights he would like hurt himself to get sympathy in 2000 sorry in 1996 DNA testing was done on a pair of under your your eyes just lit up (laughs) on a pair of underwear that was believed to have belonged to him in an attempt to compare his DNA to that of the royal family of Baden. And it proved without a doubt that he was not related to the royal family. In 2002, this is a quote, the Institute for Forensic Medicine of the University of Munster analyzed hair and body cells from locks of hair and items of clothing that belonged to Casper. Casper. Uh, The analysts took from the items used in in the test six different DNA samples, all of which turned out to be identical, but they differed substantially from the blood sample examined in 1986, the, on- the authenticity of which was therefore questioned. The new DNA samples were compared to a DNA <gasps> segment from Astrid von Mettinger, a descendant in the female line of Stephanie de Barnet. Mm. The genetic code was found to be the same in all six samples. It was a 95% match. The same except for a single marker, Dr. Brinkman's conclusion was that it would be absolutely unscientific and false at the present time to rule out Casper Hauser as the possible crown prince of Baden. <gasps> I got, I just got fucking chills. The House of Baden does not allow any medical examination of the remains of Stephanie de Bournay or of the child that was buried as her son in the family vault. So. Why? We'll never know. Why? Because <laughs> you can't, like, consecrate of queen. So, no, yeah, absolutely you can. Because we need to know who Casper is. This is, my story has this too, where it's like, fucking dig up the body. It doesn't matter. Yeah, do it. Do it. It's not rude. Fucking do it. It's science. Just do it. Mm. That makes me so mad when they're like, it stands for Macfall. You know. To what? The pile of bones? Mm-hmm. We're too soft about death. So he might be... I bet he fucking is. He might have been a prince and that fucking bitch fucking stole him away and hid him because she didn't want him to be the right, because he was the rightful heir. I'm so angry that nobody deathbed confessed about this. I know. We need more deathbed confessions. I want, just do it. You're going to (laughs) die. 
I need everyone from all these stories always to like give always a deathbed confession. give a deathbed confession, even if it's not a big deal. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what I would deathbed confess. <laughs> I think I haven't done it yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, whatever it is, I don't think we've done it yet. I don't think I've done it yet. That is the mysterious life and death of Casper Hazard. Oh my god, that's so delicious. Mm. What a fucking lying piece it's of shit. It's crazy too because he was clearly like just a tortured soul. Which is why he lied and did all that shit. Okay, wait, but okay. Now I'm. When they found him, he called all animals horses. Yeah, clearly he had been kept in a room, in a dungeon, and he didn't know the difference between like a pretend horse and like a living thing. He also apparently, if someone ever like tried to like squish a bug or something, he would get like beside himself. He was so upset by it because he had never really seen other life. Yeah, that's fair. And so he like saw other life for the first time and saw the value. Here's the takeaway. I found it. Don't worry, we got there. We take for granted all the, the bugs. beauty and all of like in the like in bugs in the life bugs. around us. Bugs. We take for granted the bugs and plastic horses. Yeah. Horse, horse. And then he like loved horses his whole life, and his father was supposedly a cavalry. It's really interesting. I'm really mad that the drawing never got mentioned again. I know. They were just like he was an artistic genius, but also let me see if I can find a more of dirty his liar. So why? Oh, his original artworks. Why did he get sent? Why was the instruction to make him a cavalry person? Oh my god, he did like these paintings of flowers, which is funny because he was repulsed by them. He didn't like them. flowers. I think maybe it was just the smell. Look at this watercolor. Yeah, there's, that's the thing is that he thought that plants were. Beautiful. Mm, that looks he, like titties. Or a butt. He thought that plants were beautiful. He just didn't like the... I mean, he was just, like, overwhelmed by the smell of them because he had, like, bat senses <laughs> from being locked in. He's like Bat Boy. He is He's like the Bat, bat boy. boy. I have a lot of questions. You could see in the fucking dark. I have a lot of questions. And why was he, like... Why did he have that weird thing with magnets? So cool. Why did he have that weird thing with magnets? Maybe because he... Do you think that taking a lot of opium... Gives you a weird thing. <laughs> I don't know how that would be. I don't know. I don't understand why the if they're trying to hide him so that he doesn't inherit the throne, why their instructions were like, but then when he's seventeen, let him live. Um like why not just be like, keep him in a cage, he'll probably die. I think that, like, there might be, it might have been, I, this is totally conjecture. I have no idea because I don't know that much about, like, German government. Well, except for, like, World War II stuff. But um, I think that there's, like, a weird thing about, like, you can't, you can't murder royal blood. Like, I feel like. But can you let it die? Right. I, I feel like if, if it really was Leopold's mother that stole him, she didn't want to kill him. She just didn't want him to be in the way of. But then why... Her son taking the throne, so she just, like, stashed him. It's but like why Game of stash Thrones. him in a dungeon? Why not just be like, hey, raise him like a normal... Just Harry Potter it. Well, it's interesting because the day laborer in that in the letter doesn't describe, like, why. He just says, like, I had ten kids of my own, I did the best I could, I taught him to, like, read and write, and I taught him to be a Christian. But that doesn't sound like at all what Casper described. No. He, but he... We know he's a liar, but he also has all the fucking... Like, evidence of having lived in a dungeon. Been in a dark place all the time. He also didn't teach him how to read and write, because no. he was just, like, horse, no, horse, horse. No, but he horse. could write his name, I guess, was that. 
was what they were saying. But, but also, and then he said in the letter, I never let him take a step out of my house. Maybe that was part of the instruction. That's so different than keep him in a dark dungeon cell. Yeah. I think that like the truth is somewhere in between those two. Yeah, maybe he was like, uh, I wasn't allowed to leave my house, so I was kept in a dungeon. Yeah, but then why could he see in the dark? Because there was no electricity. Or maybe those were... <laughs> oh, of course. So it was dark house. Or maybe the time. those were all parlor tricks. Maybe he memorized a passage from the Bible and then did that. Yeah. You know? Maybe he just, like... Maybe he knew how magnets worked. Magnets, how the fuck do they work? Maybe he knew how magnets worked. <laughs> and, and he, he was, was like, like, oh, that side is a push. Yeah. I bet it was all a fucking parlor trick. I don't know. Or he was an X-Man. <laughs> or both. He was an X-Man, but his power was parlor trick. <laughs> <laughs> Should we take a break? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you hated that. I do, but it's stuck. Be right back. BRB. Hey guys, Kayla here. I just wanted to let you know some of the fun things that we have for you on our Patreon. Uh, For $1 more a month, you can become an armchair sleuth, which gets you access to some exclusive Patreon-only content. For $10 more a month, you can become a certified private eye, which will get you your very own hard copy certificate verifying your official detective status. Um, Some fun office supplies and obviously access to all of the fun content for $30 a month you can become an official member of mystery team inc which will get you all of these wonderful things a mystery team inc t-shirt a discount on all of our merch your very own mystery solving kit which includes a pen notepad a sticker and a signature tote bag you get a hard copy certificate verifying your official detective status and of course you get access to all of our super fun content on our patreon page that's my favorite one i want that certificate for myself i'll become a patron (laughs) and we're back back. welcome back i got a bumble match while we were gone tell us about it i got two this guy Oh, his first picture is just him with children in, like, Thailand. Ugh. I take it back. His bio is just a piece of pizza. I don't know why I slept <laughs> right on this person. That is everything wrong with Bumble. Uh, and then this if guy. If you have a picture where you're exploiting children from a third world country or you have a picture where you're with a drugged animal, yeah. gone. No. This is my fault. I just looked at this and it said his age is 29 and I went, whoa, way too old. I'm 27. Yeah, what do you think? I think I thought it was like 39, or which is not even true. I've dated a 39-year-old no, when I was 26. what are you talking about? I don't know why I looked at that and was like, ugh, way too old. I think it's because he just kind of looks old. Let me see. But he's not cute. But uh, the first emoji in his bio is a UFO. So that's what, why I swiped on him. Let's just turn this into a Bumble podcast. You want to? Yeah, where we describe Bumble profiles? Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. I'm gonna unmatch with these people. Absolutely, just so they know. Yeah, I don't want I don't want them to use their one time extend. Look at how bad the framing of that photo is. See, I'm so picky. Like, if the framing in your photo is fucked up, I'm gonna unmatch you. It's not hard to frame a photo. I know, but I'm never gonna find love because I can't deal with a poorly framed photo. Listen, what are you gonna do? Spend the rest of your life with someone who doesn't know how to frame photos? Oh God, you're right. I didn't think of it like that. Listen. 
This guy is cute, and he his only problem is that he kills all his succulents, and that's my problem too. Yeah, you can't join forces and just kill all the succulents. Oh, we could, but what if we were like a crime, like a crime duo, <laughs> not like a crime, the crime is, duo? The crime is killing. Yeah, succulents. like what if we were just like a like a supervillain team that where we just killed succulents? Mm, this guy's cute, but I don't know what to say. That so sounds I like genocide. And we're back again. Okay, your turn. I have to drink my alcohol coffee. God, I do have to do a self-tape after this. Fucking. Mm-hmm. Goddamn. I have a huge problem with the Being fact that. Being an actor. <laughs> I just want to be a personality and a brand. Yeah. I don't want to do any work. I just want to be an influencer. I don't want to put on mascara and some highlighter and stand in front of a wall in my house while my best friend holds up an iPhone and I say four <laughs> lines into the camera. And then it takes six years for me to email it to my manager because there's still no way to easily email a video file. Do you have feelings about this? I'm just now detecting that you may have feelings about this. Do you want to talk? Do you want me to bring it up to my therapist for you? Will you please outsource this? <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to. That's I like that we'll favorite. spend, like, several hours typing up a goddamn book report about an unsolved mystery so that we can talk to each other about it for no one to listen to, but we won't record a four-minute video of us saying, like, hey, just wanted to know if you were going to that party later. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably be there. Okay, cool. <laughs> and then going, no, sorry, I said cool, weird. Sorry, can we do another I said take? weird. <laughs> and then the other one being like, yeah, you kind of said hey, weird. Like, it should just be more like, like, what's the thought? Like, what's, a, what's your character thought? <laughs> what's your character thought for this character that has no, no. name <laughs> and pays description. $25 yeah. a day? Right. It's a non-sag short. Oh, boy. Good career choices. We're just, like, living the dream out here in L.A. Yeah. You live in Silver Lake. We have a podcast. We're on avoiding. paper, we're very cool. On paper, we're super cool. Uh, why, should, why don't I put that in my Bumble profile? On paper, I'm Silver super Lake. cool. Oh, no. I was going to say, I live in Silver Lake and I have a podcast. I'm going to change mine to on paper, paper I'm super cool. Damn it, I want to do that. Nope, too late. It was Called my it. idea. I said it. <laughs> I said on paper, we're super cool. Oh, no. Wait, did you? It is complete. Yeah, do you want to hear it? Did you? I, s- I said it. You did <laughs> I, said, I said on paper, we're super cool. Yes. I'm... <laughs> We're going to go back and listen to it right now. We'll be right back. You live in Silver Lake. We have a podcast. We're On avoiding... paper, we're very cool. On paper, we're super cool. Okay. okay. So I you said, said it. it. Yeah. You said the phrase, on paper, we're super cool. Right. But then you said, I'm going to change my bubble profile to, I live in Silver Lake, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm going to change my bubble profile to, on paper, we're super cool. So again, it's just a collab. It was your... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was a collab. Did you see that tweet that was like my... My brother and sister-in-law only refer to their baby as a collab. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's going to be me. That's going to be me about your baby. Yeah. You're gonna be. I'm gonna be that drunk aunt. Yeah, it was. And a you and your husband are gonna be like our baby, and I'll be like our collab. I like that you're assuming that I'm gonna be married at that point, or that the father will like be anywhere near the picture. I'm gonna make sure he is, just so I can call it our, our collab. collab, so he can be like, I'm sorry, and I'm like, I texted I you half you. of it in the beginning. <laughs> I gave her the opening line on Bumble. Come yeah. on, yeah. it's a collab. Okay, and we're back again. I have so many layers on now. Only one thing has changed. Now, 
We're in our podcasting jumpsuits. Mm-hmm. It's not for you. It's not for you. It's for we us. We know it's not a visual medium. It's for us. Oh, good. I got the photo of me. God, I really... I should wear makeup sometimes. I was uh, literally about to say, God, I should wear makeup. <laughs> to podcast for this non-visual medium. Do you have a mystery or what? Yes. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. This is the mystery of Tamam Shud. Um, okay. So on December 1st, 1948, 6.30 in the morning. Also, it takes place in Australia. Yeah, your favorite. I know. And I love the 40s. I know. I love Australia. Uh, the police were contacted after the body of a man was discovered on Somerton Beach near Glenelg, uh, which is seven miles southwest of Adelaide in South Australia. The man was found lying in the sand on his back with his head resting against the seawall and his legs extended and his feet crossed. There was a half-smoked, unlit cigarette on the right collar of his coat. A search of his pockets revealed an unused second-class rail ticket from Adelaide to Henley Beach, a bus ticket from the city that could not be proved to have been used, um, an American comb, a half-empty packet of juicy fruit gum, an Army Club cigarette packet containing seven cigarettes from a different, more expensive brand, and a quarter box full of matches. So, the night before, at 7 o'clock, a couple was out walking, and they saw a smartly dressed man lying on the sand, his head propped against the seawall. He was about 20 yards from them with his legs outstretched and his feet crossed. As they were watching, he extended his right arm upward and then let it fall to the ground. And the guy was like, he's probably just drunk and like trying to figure out how to smoke a cigarette. Okay. Half an hour later, another couple noticed the same man lying in the same position, and they looked at him from above, and they saw that he was immaculately dressed in a suit with smart new shoes polished to a mirror shine. His left arm was outstretched, and there were mosquitoes flying around his face, but he wasn't moving. And they just figured he was, like, drunk and asleep, which yeah. says a lot about this town. Yeah. But it's, like, where couples go to make out, and they just assume that everyone's drunk. Yeah. So the police found he was between 40 and 45 years old. He was in, quote, top physical condition. He was five foot eleven, with gray eyes, uh, fair hair uh, that was, like, slightly gray around the temples, with broad shoulders, a narrow waist, hands and nails that showed no signs of manual labor. His toes met in a wedge shape, like a dancer. Okay. It's, like, evidence of having worn, like, heeled shoes or, right, like, or tight like, shoes. T- yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Pointy shoes. Mm-hmm. He had pronounced... High calf muscles, like a ballet dancer. Thank like you. Mm-hmm. But I didn't do anything to earn my calves. Oh. I apologize. Um, he was dressed in a white shirt, a red, white, and blue tie, brown trousers, socks and shoes, a brown knitted pullover, and a fashionable gray and brown double-breasted jacket um, that was American-made. All the labels had been removed from his clothes. He had no hat, which was unusual for the 40s, and he had no wallet. The body was clean-shaven. There was no identification. 
they found that his pants pocket had been neatly mended using a like unusual variety of waxed orange thread. Hmm. His teeth didn't match any dental records. So they took the body in for an autopsy. It was determined that he died around 2 a.m. Cause of death? Just wait. Okay. This is what the autopsy report said. Quote, The heart was of normal size and normal in every way. Small vessels not commonly observed in the brain were easily discernible, discernible with congestion. There was congestion of the pharynx and the gullet was covered with whitening of superficial layers of the mucosa with a patch of ulceration in the middle of it. The stomach was deeply congested. There was congestion in the second half of the duodenum, which I forgot to look up. Uh, There was blood mixed with the food in his stomach. Both of the kidneys were congested, and the liver contained a great excess of blood. The spleen was three times normal size. Uh, There was destruction of the center of the liver lobules. Um, There was acute gastritis hemorrhage. Extensive congestion of the liver and spleen and the congestion to the brain. So he died of congestion? Yeah. So it's natural causes, maybe. Conge- it, in this, what they actually mean is it, it was like a, bu- a lot of internal bleeding. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like, it's not. Right. So. Hmm. The autopsy showed that his last meal was a pasty eaten three to four hours before he died. Uh, the coroner was like, this had to have been poison because all of the organs are fucking fucked Jacked up. up. That's mm-hmm. what I was thinking, too, yeah. But all of his tests showed no foreign substances in the body. Mm-hmm. So the police took a full set of fingerprints and sent them around the entire world. No one had them on record. Um, by January 11th, they had exhausted all of the local leads they had. So they widened the investigation um, to locate any abandoned personal possessions like luggage that maybe someone had left behind because he had all the tickets on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they checked every hotel, dry cleaner, and lost property office and railway station for miles around. On the 12th, detectives went to the main railway station in Adelaide, and they were shown a suitcase that had been left there on November 30th. Hmm. Hmm. The staff couldn't remember anything about the person who left the suitcase. In the suitcase were a red checked dressing gown, a size 7 red felt pair of slippers, four pairs of underwear, pajamas, shaving items, a light brown pair of trousers with sand in the cuffs, an electrician screwdriver. Sand in the cuffs. An electrician screwdriver, a table knife cut down into a short, sharp instrument, a pair of scissors with sharpened points, a small square of zinc thought to have been used as a protective sheath for the knife and scissors, and a stenciling brush as used by third officers on merchant ships for stenciling cargo. Also in the suitcase was a thread card of orange waxed <gasps> thread. Oh, shit. That is like, it's like not widely used. Right. All the labels had been removed from the clothes except for a tie that said T Keen, K E A N E, a laundry bag that said Keen, and then a vest that said Keen with no E, and then three dry cleaning tickets. 
The police believed that whoever removed the clothing tags purposefully left the Keen tags on the clothes, knowing that Keen was not the dead man's name. Mm-hmm. Um, there was still wartime rationing enforced, so it was hard to find clothes. So on one hand, people used a lot of name tags on their clothes, but on the other hand, people bought a lot of secondhand clothes and then took the name tags out. Right. But what was unusual was that there were no spare socks at all. <laughs> See, this if it was me, it would be like when I went out to my mom's house and they're like, I just forgot to pack underwear. And they'd be like, what's interesting is why didn't she bring underwear if she was planning on being there for three days? And it's like, because I fucking forgot. Because I forgot. Fucking idiot. Yeah. Um, they also found no correspondences, despite the fact that they found pencils and um, unused stationery. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because if he wrote correspondences, he'd mailed them. <laughs> yeah, but wouldn't he have also gotten some? Oh, I see. Yeah, but why would you carry it with you unless it's sentimental? Whatever. Okay, go on. A search concluded that there was no T. Keen missing in any English-speaking country, and a nationwide circulation of the dry cleaning tickets also turned up nothing. He's a spy. Maybe. I think he's a spy. Go on. Mm, the only thing that they could figure out from the stuff in the suitcase was that one of the coats, that a coat found in the case indicated, like, the way that, hmm, okay. All they could figure out from the suitcase was the front gusset and the feather stitching on a coat found in there indicated that it had been manufactured in the United States, but it had not been imported, which means that the man had been to the United States or bought the coat from someone who had been. Mm-hmm. So, they checked incoming train records, and they believed that the man had arrived at the Adelaide station by overnight train from either Melbourne, Sydney, or Port Augusta. He purchased a ticket for the 10.50 a.m. Melbourne. Melbourne, Sydney, or Port Augusta. The man purchased a ticket for the 10.50 a.m. train to Henley Beach, which, for whatever reason, he missed or did not catch. I can't mm-hmm. do this. <laughs> uh, he immediately checked his suitcase at the station cloakroom before leaving the station and catching a bus to Glenelg. So, a coroner's inquest happened. It was conducted by a coroner named Thomas Erskine Cleland. Um, it started a few days after the body was found, but then they put it on hold until the 17th of June, 1949. I don't know why. Okay. The investigating pathologist in June re-examined the body and made a number of discoveries. Hmm. One was that the man's shoes were remarkably clean and appeared to have been recently polished rather than being in the state expected of the shoes of someone who had apparently been wandering around town all day. Mm-hmm. Um, this, they had a theory that the body had been placed there, that he had been poisoned somewhere else and then put oh. on the beach. This fits, and then also there was no evidence of vomiting or convulsions, which fits because that could have happened before they moved the body. But that couple saw him move his arm. Yeah, but that could have been the last fucking one. Oh, I see. Right. Okay, so he wasn't necessarily dead when he was placed there, but he was already Mm-mm. poisoned. I yeah. See. Copy. 
So, um, at the inquest, a man named Cedric Stanton Hicks, who is was the professor of physiology and pharmacology at the University of Adelaide, testified that of a group of drugs, variants of a drug in a group that he called number one, particularly one that he called number two, were extremely toxic in a relatively small oral dose that would be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to identify, mm-hmm. even if you were looking for it. Right. He wouldn't say them out loud at the inquest because it was on the record. Um, and he wrote them down and just, like, passed them to the coroner. And the names weren't released to the public until the 1980s because at the time they were, quote, quite easily procurable by the ordinary individual and yeah. you didn't have to give a reason. Right. So they were like, I'm not going to tell you how easy how you can yeah. easily murder someone without <laughs> ever getting totally caught. totally get away with yeah. that. And it was called uh, Digitalis. Okay. Um, he said that if death had occurred seven hours after the man was last seen to move, which is when the people saw his arm do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it would imply a massive dose that still could have been undetectable. Um, it was noted that the movement seen by witnesses at 7 p.m. could have been the last convulsion preceding death. Uh, so he was like, it's probably poison, but like I can't right. confirm for sure. So... Around the same time as the inquest, a tiny piece of rolled up paper was found in a fob pocket sewn into his pants pocket. Mm-hmm. This piece of paper said, Tamam Shud. Mm-hmm. They called in a bunch of public library officials to translate it, and it it's a phrase that means ended or finished. And it's found on the last page of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. What is that? It's a book. Oh. A po- it's like a, an epic poem, I think. Okay. And the back of it was blank. So it's from a book, but the back is blank. They conducted an Australia-wide search to find a copy of the book where that had phrase had nothing on the back. Oh, because it was... Okay, sorry. The, the paper in his pocket was torn from a book. Was torn from a book. So they wanted to figure out... Which right, like edition had, had, yeah. So they released a photo of the scrap of paper and then did like a public appeal. And we're like, if anyone has any information. And then a man came forward and showed them a 1941 edition of Edward Fitzgerald's translation of the Rubaiyat with the piece torn out. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, the, the actual copy. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. So, it's kind of unknown where the book was found. There's a bunch of different accounts. Uh, the police statement says that the book was found in the rear footwell of a car at about the same time that the body was found. Okay. One newspaper article... Whose car is that? <laughs> Shit. One newspaper article refers to the book being found about a week or two before the body was found. One police detective who worked on the case later, we'll get to him, his name is Gary, Jerry Feltis, he reports that the book was found just after the band was found at the beach. And this is significant, obviously, because if it was found weeks before, that means that he was in town before, or he was in town for a period of time. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, most accounts state that the book was found in an unlocked car parked in on Jetty Road in Glenelg, either in the rear floor well or in the back seat. So the theme of the Rubaiyat is that one should live life to the fullest and have no regrets when it ends. Hmm. On the inside back cover of the book, detectives found indentations from handwriting. Oh, yes. Did they mm-hmm. do like a squirt with a pencil where they like... A rubbing? A rubbing. Yeah. Yes. They found a telephone number, an unidentified number, and a text that looked like encrypted code. Oh, I know. Spy! My spy theory is just getting stronger. So... The second line of the code had been struck out. Uh, they consider this significant because it is similar to the fourth line, and that means that they probably did it wrong. Right. Um, I'm not going to read you the code because it's just num. It's just it's letters. Gibberish. It's it's like the first line is W R G O A B A B D. But I'll show you. There's pictures of it, and it's just handwriting. Did in they letters. ever crack the code? Listen. Okay, fine. Okay. So. In 1978, we jump forward a little. Um, a journalist named Stuart Littlemore. Was <laughs> Stuart Little. <laughs> Littlemore. I know. He's the funny. sequel. <laughs> <laughs> too Stuart, too little. <laughs> um, okay. So, who worked with, he was a journalist and he, like, asked officially the Department of Defense to analyze the code. And the cryptographers reported that it would be impossible to provide a sa- satisfactory answer. If the text was an encrypted message, its brevity meant that it had insufficient symbols from which a clear meaning could be extracted. Mm. And they wrote it off. They said that it could be meaningless and a product of a disturbed mind. We'll come no. back. We'll come back to it. Don't worry. Yeah. No. Next. So the phone number belonged to a nurse named Jessica Thompson, who lived in Glenelg. Yes. About 1,300 feet north of where the body was found. (gasps) Yes. And a nurse could poison someone surreptitiously. Mm Mm-hmm. Thompson said she didn't know the dead man. She said she didn't know why the dead man would have her phone number and chose to visit her suburb on the night of his death. She did report that at some time in late 1948, an unidentified man had attempted to visit her and asked a next-door neighbor about her. Likely story. Mm-hmm. So Jerry Feltis started investigating it in, I guess, like the late 90s, early 2000s, um, and like wrote a book on it and whatever. In his book, he stated that he interviewed her in 2002, and he found that she was either being evasive or she just didn't want to talk about it. And Feltis was like, she knows who this guy is. Yes. So in 1949, when they were investigating, she asked that her name not be used in connection to the case. So um, they just used a bunch of pseudonyms. But then Feltis said that in 2010, after she died in 2007, he was like, I got permission from the family to use her name. Here's who it the fuck is. Yeah. So... He, or a detective, showed her, they made a plaster cast of the bust of the man. Okay. When they were doing the autopsy. A detective showed it to her. She was like, I can't, I don't know who it is. But the detective also says, 
he describes her reaction as completely taken aback to the point of giving the appearance that she was about to faint. Um, the technician who made the cast and was there when she set when she saw it said that after looking at the bus, she immediately looked away and wouldn't look at it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Thompson said that while she was working at Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney during World War II, she had a copy of the Rubaiyat. In 1945, at the Clifton Gardens Hotel in Sydney, she gave it to an army lieutenant named Alf Vauxhall, who was serving at the time in the water transport section of the Royal Australian Engineers. Oh, shit. She said after the war ended, she moved to Melbourne and got married, and that she got a letter from Boxall and had replied and been like, I'm married. Go away. She says that she got married right after the war. What actually happened is she moved to Glenelg, started seeing this guy who was, like, in the middle of a divorce. They didn't get married till 1950. Yeah, because it was an affair, probably. Yeah. Kind of. So... And this man is named Prosper Thomas, which is just such a good fucking name. So, uh, because of what she told them about Alf Boxall, they were like, that's got to be the guy. Right. That was my first thought. In July 1949, they found him in Sydney. Oh. Alive. Mm -hmm. And the final page of his copy was intact. Fuck. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he was now working in the maintenance section of the Randwick bus depot and was unaware of any link between the dead man and himself. Hmm. This section is called A Spy. That's what I think. I know. Okay, so there has been persistent speculation that the dead man was a spy due to the circumstances and historical context of his death. One theory concerns Boxall, who was reportedly involved in intelligence work during and immediately after World War II. Mm-hmm. In 1978, he was interviewed by Two Stuart Too Little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he didn't tell Jessica he was a spy, and if she knew, someone else must have told her because he'd never mentioned it. And Stuart was like, it's isn't it interesting? Like it kind of seems like maybe there's a connection between like you being a spy and this dead guy who's probably also a spy. And he said, "quote It's quite a melodramatic thesis, isn't it?" Ah, uh, I love. Okay, so after the inquest, I'm gonna start saying that it's quite a melodramatic the next time thesis. I date someone like the like whoever, and they say something like whatever. What I'm scared that you're like hanging out with other dudes. I'm like, well, that's quite a melodramatic thesis, isn't it? <laughs> And they'll be like, what does melodramatic and thesis mean? <laughs> Give me some credit. I know you can have all the credit. I'm not giving any like, man credit ever again for the rest of my life. <laughs> Shit. All right, fair. Okay. So in 1949, the body was buried in Adelaide's West Terrace Cemetery. Years after the burial, flowers began appearing on the grave. Police saw a woman leaving the cemetery, and they were like, hey, what's up? And she was like, well, I don't know. (laughs) Was she? It doesn't matter. She had no idea. She wasn't, I guess she wasn't the one leaving the flowers. They were just like, did you do this? And she was like, I don't know. Or she lied. Or she fucking lied. Get her fucking name. They don't talk about her again. What's her name? Jessica Rabbit. It's her. (laughs) It's Jessica Rabbit. Again. Okay. So at about the same time, a woman named Ina Harvey who was the receptionist from the Strathmore Hotel opposite the Adelaide Railway Station, mm-hmm. revealed that a strange man had stayed in room 
21 or 23 for a few days around the time of the death. He checked out on November 30th, 1948. He was English speaking, and the only thing he had with him was a small black case. Mm-hmm. And an employee looked inside and saw a needle. And the fucking wax thread. Yeah. Just the needle. No, I know, but like, well, I'm expounding on that. Don't. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. So then in March of 2009, this goes up until February 2018. I'm so excited. In March of 2009, a team at the University of Adelaide led by a man named Derek Abbott, who's a professor there, were like, we're going to fucking crack this case. Um, so they wanted to crack the code and they wanted to exhume the body. Can we do some ancestry DNA shit now with us? Listen. Okay, sorry. We'll get to it. So... Looking at the code, it appeared to follow the quatrain format of the Rubaiyat. Oh, shit. Which supports the theory that the code was something called a one-time pad encryption algorithm. Okay. A one-time pad encryption algorithm is an encryption... This is directly from Wikipedia. Quote, an encryption technique that cannot be cracked but requires the use of a one-time pre-shared key the same size as or longer than the message being sent. Right. In this text tech in this technique a plain text is paired with a random secret key. Then each bit or character of the plain text is encrypted by combining it with the corresponding bit or character from the pad using something called modular addition. Right. Modular addition is just Oh, this is the math part. This is the I'm math part. To it. It's super simple. It's a system of arithmetic where numbers wrap around once they reach a certain value. Okay. So it's like when you're looking After at a clock. After 10, 11 means be, 1 means and one. 12 yeah. means 2. Okay. Great. I didn't even have to explain it to you. I'm I had so a fun clock metaphor. Oh, sorry. That's <laughs> fine. Okay. So if the key is truly random, is at least as long as the plain text and is never reused in whole or in part it is and is kept completely secret – then the resulting ciphertext is impossible to break. You Fuck. have to have the key. Fuck. And they don't have the fucking key. Yeah, because they were like, okay, W means B, and like that's just what it <laughs> yeah. is now. And you have to use... How many permutations of that can there be, though? It's infinite. infinite. Ugh, I knew you were going to say it was infinite. So what they were trying to do is... what Basically, it means that they needed the exact edition of the book to crack it if they had any chance of cracking it. Um, the original yeah. copy of the case was lost in the 1960s, which is a trend in this case. Yeah. Um, they have not found a Fitzgerald edition of this book. So I'm going to find it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you can. I bet I can. So an invested their investigation showed also that the, his autopsy reports are now missing. Mm. And Cleland's notes don't have anything on the case. Bye. The professor of anatomy at the University of Adelaide examined images of the guy's ears and found that his upper ear hollow is larger than his lower ear hollow, which is possessed by only 1% to 2% of the Caucasian population of the world. Interesting. In May of 2009... Abbott consulted with dental experts who said that the Somerton man 
did I say that that's what they call him? No. The Summerton Man, because okay. he was found at Summerton Beach. He had hypodontia, which means that, like, your big teeth never grew in. Oh. Um, of both lateral incisors, which is only present in 2% of the general population. So he had, like, little teeth. He had little baby teeth. That's like my dad had that. It's creepy. <laughs> was your dad the Summerton Man? Maybe. Um, he could be related to me. And these are both genetic. Right. This is where it gets really delicious. Yay! In June of 2010, Abbott got a photograph of Jessica Thompson's oldest son, Robin. <gasps> he has Which showed that he had fucked up teeth ears. and weird ears. I got you. I see how it is. The chance that this is a coincidence... No, it's not. ...is one in ten million. No, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Also, a fun side note is that Derek Abbott... Are we Abbott, talking to this guy? Who's Guy, do you have a question yet? <laughs> I'm gonna call him. A side note is that Derek Abbott married Robin, the uh, relative of the guy's daughter, Rachel, in 2010. So he was investigating and he was like, Your ears oh. and teeth look like this guy. And then he was like, Also, this daughter is hot and they're married. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> okay. So it just gets, keeps getting better. I love this. In 2001, or sorry, 2011. An oh, are you doing that thing where it wraps around and <laughs> yeah, starts turning? Yeah, it wraps around. <laughs> like a clock. Uh, in 2011, a woman from Adelaide contacted a biological anthropologist named yes. Henneberg, I can't pronounce his first name, about an identification card of a person named H.C. Reynolds that she found in her father's possession. The card was a document that was issued in the United States to foreign seamen. 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 <laughs> I read that earlier and I was like, how do I? Yeah, how do I get around this? Because we already made a joke out of it. Um, during World War One, and he used it to compare the ID on the the photograph on the ID to that of the Somerset man, and they had it was him. He had the fucking ear thing, and they look similar, and they had matching moles. So his name is W. C. Reynolds. Uh, what is it? They're pretty sure it's H. C. Reynolds. H. C. Reynolds. Uh. T.B. Cooper. Oh, my God. T.B. Cooper. <laughs> oh, my God. My crush. Um, so this guy said, together with the similarity of the ear characteristics, the mole and the mole in a forensic case would allow me to make a rare statement positively identifying the Somerset man. <gasps> oh, or the shit. Somerton man. There's more. Don't I know. Worry. I'm so excited. In December 2017, and this was fun because on the Wikipedia page, you can see where they're like, we'll see. And then they add more. Yeah. So, in December 2017, Abbott announced that three hairs in good condition were found um, in the plaster cast. Yes. And they submitted it yeah. for analysis to the Australian Center for Ancient DNA at the University of Adelaide. Yes. In February of 2018, the University of Adelaide team got um, the whole mitochondrial profile from the sample of his hair. They found that his mother belongs to a specific haplo group that's possessed by only 1% of the Europeans. Cool. The card... Of uh, the Europeans? Of the Europeans. <laughs> of Europeans? No. Okay, copy. The Europeans. We oh. use articles in this office. Is that a sitcom that I haven't seen yet? <laughs> yes. The Europeans. It's they're trying to reboot multi-cams. It's not working. <laughs> okay, tell me more. And then the card... Um, was issued in the United States on February 28th, 1918, to H.C. Reynolds, which said he was British and 18, which fits the timeline, fits his age. Yes. 
Also, <laughs> there was a 60 Minutes investigation into this where <laughs> Kate Thompson, the daughter of Jessica and Prosper Thompson, said that her mother was Jessica and that she told her she lied to them and that she knew who it was. <gasps> she knew. She said that his identity was also, quote, known to be known to a level higher than the police force. Spy. That's what I fucking said. She suggested that her mother and the Summerton man were both spies. Love that. She said that her mom taught English to migrants, was interested in communism, and could speak Russian, but wouldn't tell her where or why she learned it. Yeah. 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 Um, and she was a nurse during World War II. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's always and the government or spies. Robin Thompson, the descendant tooth guy, his widow and their daughter, Rachel, who's married to Abbott, also went on 60 Minutes and they said they were like, it's, it's Robin's father. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, let's fucking exhume the body. And Kate Thompson was like, no. Damn it. So they can't. That, you, you told me this would come up, and now I'm mad. Yeah, doesn't that make you so mad? Yeah. Because it's basically what happened, we assume, is that she got pregnant mm-hmm. by the Somerset man, mm-hmm. and then fucking by Alf. Reynolds. Yeah, and Alf was mad about it because he was in love with her. And he poisoned him. And he poisoned him. Yeah. But we don't know. Mystery solved. Probably, but, like, let them fucking exhume the body, you dumb bitch. Or maybe not even that Alf poisoned him, but, like, he got poisoned because he's a spy. Yeah. By, like, a hostile... But he's definitely Robin's father. Yeah. Yeah, and he definitely was having a relationship with her. But then, okay, wait, so where did he get the piece of the book if it wasn't her copy? Here's what I think it is. I think Alf poisoned him because he found out that she was pregnant with his child and he was being fragile masculinity about it and mm-hmm. was mad. And then, like, put that in there for her to find so that she knew it was him. Fuck, that's such a genius hypothesis. He just got another copy, though. And that's... He was probably Not the one who was fucking knocking around. Because he was also smart enough to know that if he used her copy, her fingerprints mm-hmm. and shit would be on it. So he got another and copy. And they could trace the edition. And if you get a different fucking edition... So he got another copy... Mm-hmm. And tore it out and put it in his pocket. Fucking spies. And if anyone's going to be able to do a fucking one-time pad algorithm, cryptid, whatever, it's a spy. It's spies, yeah. Yeah. So, wait, but my question is, this is part of the mystery, but I just want to see if we can kind of suss it out. So what is, like, the timeline of that night, then, where he's, like... Because in the book, it had, like, the indentations of her phone number and the code. Right? So mm-hmm. who wrote that? The Summerton man? Wait, what is he called? Did H.C. Reynolds write that? Or did the... Uh, I think it's Alf. It's Alf wrote it. So Alf wrote like a code and her phone number? I think he wrote the code for her. Oh, you think because she was also a spy? Yeah. I buy that. I think he wrote the code for her. I think she knows what it sa- knew what it said. Yeah. I think he left her the key. It probably says to mom shoot. Yeah, or it says, like, I love you. Stop fucking other guys. Yeah. I'm mad that you married someone named Prosper. Mm-hmm. And 
if you're a spy and you worked as spies together, yeah, then she knew what kind of fucking code it was. Right. And she could figure out how to do it. I love this, and I'm also so... Well, yeah, because he would have shared the, the key with her. Mm-hmm. And she lied this. until the day she died about it. I love this, and I'm so mad. One, because also, yes, back to your point, everyone do death by confessions always. Always, always. Second of all, I'm just mad because we'll never know what happened between him missing his train and eating the pasty and then dying on the beach. I think he. it's possible that he bought the train ticket as a decoy. Mm-hmm. Maybe he knew Alf was coming after him, and he mm-hmm. was like, "I need to go see my child." Mm-hmm. But I'm going to make it look like I'm going Did she somewhere already have else. A child at that point, he was the baby was he was 16 months old. Okay, so that's when he died. Wrote, yeah, so he definitely went to see his baby. Yeah, and he was like, "He won't think that I'm there." But that makes me think that he wrote the number and the code. Makes me think that he she shared with H. C. Reynolds via code like come see your son and set her phone number oh and I think also because you said one of the lines was scratched out right Mm -hmm. so I think that so maybe he she like called him or something yeah and said here's my number or like sent her a letter he she like sent him a letter and he burned it and like wrote it down in the back but then how why would he the problem that I have with that theory is that the code was indented on the back of the book that someone left the ripped paper out. That someone ripped the tamam shoe yeah. out of and put it in his pocket. You're so assuming that, makes that someone think, else put it in his pocket. Yeah. That's not necessarily true. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he could have ripped it out. because Maybe he was going to give it to I, her. That's the, what I was thinking. <gasps> My heart. Because, you know, you said that she gave that book to Alf, which makes me think that she probably also showed that book to him if they were lovers. Mm-hmm. And maybe he was going to give her. Maybe he was going to give her that slip of paper yeah. and be like, "I'm not coming back because I'm a spy and you have a yeah, baby." And I think that Alf I don't is wanna, trying to kill me. And I don't want to endanger you. I don't want to endanger you or our baby because I'm a spy. Bye. And you know what's interesting is that I love that it was an it was a, a half smoked cigarette on his collar, which means that he died smoking a cigarette. Well, it was unlit and half smoked, which means you put it out. Mm-hmm. Or it like fell. Oh, it it fell out of his mouth oh, when yeah. he died. So maybe he they like poisoned him, put him on the beach near her house. Interesting though, because he the pants in his suitcase also had sand in the cuffs, mm-hmm. which means he'd been to that beach before. I think probably. So he, maybe the book didn't... was left. Maybe he had been there weeks earlier. Oh my god! What if he went weeks earlier to see his kid? Mm-hmm. She gave him that code. Like, yeah. mm, this is a cute... Maybe it's just a fucking sext. Yeah. And she gave him the code. He wrote it down in his book. And well, then they... Well, they're both spies. Then, yeah, yeah, she gave him the key so that they could talk secretly about their baby that mm-hmm. no one knew about because she was also seeing Alf. He was, like, on... that. Those were the pants he wore on the beach. Right. The first time he went there. Right. And then Alf found him and then, like, put him there to be like, hey, Jessica, I know what you're fucking doing. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe he got poisoned and he fucking went to that beach on purpose because he knew... Oh, okay. Wait, I left out something important. Okay. In 1959, someone a witness came forward and said that they saw someone carrying. They saw a oh. man carrying another man down so the he beach. He didn't go there himself. No, they think he was placed there. Because mm-hmm. also his shoes would not like have been so immaculate. Mirrorless, if he, yeah, mirrored shine. Yeah. 
I think that he was scribbling on the inside cover of that book. I think he was writing down mm -hmm. her phone number. Because I think what happened was she, like, called him on a pay, like, called a pay phone or something. And he, like, you know, whatever their spy deal was. He, she was like, you can call me at this number. He scribbled it down. She was like, here's the code. It's WXZ. And then she was like, never mind. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. And then he crossed it out. Mm -hmm. And then he wrote down the right thing, whatever. And he already had the key to it. So he deciphered it and burned that paper or whatever. And you said the things, too, about the stationery, like, and how it was like, there was no Maybe the code was her address. He, maybe. I think that he was fucking writing on that stationery and sending it to her. And I think she was sending it. But I think you're right. They were both, like, burning the letters. Mm -hmm. Or just, like, trashing them because, yeah, because why would you keep them if you're a spy? And it's, like, secret. It's kind of hot. Yeah. You and D.B. Cooper could do that. He left a code in one of his letters. Well, all I want to do is write, like, math code with D.B. Cooper. <laughs> that was such a good mystery. Isn't that a good mystery? I love that one. I love that one. It's really good. It's got a good central character. There's twists and turns. Mm -hmm. There's clues. There's code. There's Step math. Step one, identify the mystery. Step two, identify the mystery. Step three, identify... <coughs> Who's in the mystery? Yeah. Step for four, proof. Identify. I people for proof. <laughs> Step four, qui bono. Step, Step five, five, mysteries are hard. <laughs> Thank we God for it. that Yahoo answer. We did it. We did it. These yeah. were fun ones. These were. I loved these. Next week, I want to do something disturbing. I know. You want to do a heavy hitter, and I think we're probably going to do it next week. Good. And then after that, I'm doing a famous person. Did you read the text? Just in general? No, did you read the text I sent You're to you You're just going to go do a famous person? No, did, you, did you see the text I sent you in Maggie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a poet. I remember. No spoilers. But like in two weeks. It's a poet. Don't <laughs> Well, Mystery Team Inc. fans, you're going to have to decipher that, that code. Out. Okay, That's wait. a one-time encryption <laughs> pit fan pet. Um, okay, I'll do a famous person, too. Ooh, I had an idea today about one to do. What is that? I'm not telling you. Okay, fine. It's about a car. <laughs> Herbie? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the mystery of Herbie the love bug? The second I said that, I was like, it's Herbie. It's not. <laughs> we gotta go, because you have to do a self-tape. Fuck. <sighs> <laughs> Kill me so I don't have to do a self-tape. That's an original where, where, song where? that we wrote. About how much about we hate doing self-tapes. Doing self-tapes. I hope my manager doesn't listen to this and go, like, then what the fuck am I <laughs> I'm gonna stop wasting my time? <laughs> Kayla, I like that you assume that anyone would listen to this. You're right. No, she loves us. Oh, good. She's really supportive. Send it to her. <laughs> That's true. I should. All right, let's get out of here. Okay, I'm really hot in this jumpsuit. I love this jumpsuit. I'm perfectly comfortable. I'm so warm because I turned the AC off for you. Well, that's a melodramatic thesis, don't you think? Kill me <laughs> Okay. Uh, we don't know. Stay in your lane. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> like when you accidentally say that to someone when you hang up the phone. Yeah. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, or even if you didn't, you can check out patreon.com slash mysteryteaminc and check out some of the cool goodies we have for you. Anything you can donate really helps keep Mystery Team Inc., open for business and mystery solving so make sure to head over there and check it out uh don't forget to follow us on instagram twitter check out our facebook and we'll see you next time thanks
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.